0: Stop for a moment and think about all the people you interact with on an average day. I'm not talking about your spouse or coworkers, I'm talking about the people that you pass at the grocery store, the person that picks up that pin you drop at the bank, or the person at the gas station that sells you the beer. Now ask yourself how much you know about that person. My name is Mitch Wheeler and I'm the host of a new podcast called People in My Neighborhood. I sit down with people from all walks of life, have a drink, and find out all I can. I wanna know what they do, if they like their job, the good parts, the bad parts, successes, failures, and how they got there. And then we go through all the same questions about their passions, dreams, and hobbies outside of work to really get to the human in each guest. Available everywhere podcasts are found and stagediverradio.com. Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans, all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is time for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. I am always your humble host, Michael Shibley. Hope you guys are having a great one out there. We got another stacked show for you. We're even going to talk tennis in the lead block coming up. And, of course, we're going to break down college football, the NFL, wrestling, and, of course, a legend in the movie industry passes away and we'll talk about that and his contribution to the sporting world as we get going all that good stuff but first let me of course remind you again this is the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on the Stage Diver Radio Network just one of many awesome podcasts you can listen to here on the Stage Diver Radio Network of course there is Halfle, Scruffy Little Podcast j bs DLC One Faller, 60 Minutes, Deadbeat Radio, People in My Neighborhood and many more out there you can go to stagediverradio.com and check out all the information there and of course you can check out all of the uh, episodes as well where we've got a nice media player where you can play any of the episodes you want to hear there and of course you can also download any of these great podcasts you like of course at Apple Podcasts, Google Play Stitcher or TuneIn so check them out there and of course like, subscribe share, comment. We want to hear from you. We want to make these the best possible podcasts that we can and we want your interaction. You want to have a debate with us? I want to hear it. You don't like one of these sports topics or you disagree with my opinion? I want to hear yours so come at me again and of course that's at stage diver radio at gmail.com you can email us you can always call the hotline as well 865-888-0109 and of course you want to interact with me michael shibley directly you can hit me up on twitter or instagram at michael underscore shibley and of course you can find our facebook page at modern day gladiators where we post a bunch of news and information there as well and i always go live with my picks for football for college football Usually, either the Thursday or Friday before the big games get going, make some picks there. And, of course, I do a Tennessee game reaction after that, just checking in on how my beloved Vols are doing as well. And you can check that out, of course, at the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page or my YouTube page, which is Michael Shibley as well. So we got all that stuff out of the way. Again, please rate, review, subscribe. I want those five-star ratings. I want to be a five-star podcast. I think I give five-star effort. So let's do it. Let's bring it in. Let's get to To the And again, week two of college football is in the books. Had some great games, some fun things going on, and of course, we always go through it the way I like to do it, is just talking about just the things we've learned from this past week and what we can expect maybe going forward and what they mean long term. But the biggest thing that happened this past week is that streaks came to die this week in college football. What I mean by that is Kentucky, for the first time, Since 1986, I was three years old. My wife was six months old. The last time Kentucky beat Florida, they did it. They really outplayed Florida in this game in the Swamp. They hadn't won in the Swamp since 1979. My parents weren't even married yet by the time that happened. So it's amazing to see. My hat's off, of course, to all the Kentucky people in the media like they talked about like the guys who've just done nothing but write the the column about Kentucky again losing to Florida for all these years so hats off to them and hats off to Kentucky football fans i know there're Kentucky football fans out there i'm not talking about Kentucky basketball fans i don't like them at all or just you know. no just the people who like Kentucky football I'm happy for you which is about the only time I'm ever going to be happy for anything related to Kentucky athletics the fact that you went out and got this win the fact that Kentucky has beaten Tennessee last year and beaten Florida this year that I don't even want to know when that's happened we'd have to go back and check that out it's been a long time but congratulations again to Kentucky and then, of course, congratulations also to Kansas, another basketball school who had an achievement on the football field as they ended a 46-game road losing streak by beating Central Michigan 31 to seven. They went up into Central Michigan and blew them out. The last time they won a road game was back September 12th, 2009. That's a long—it's eight years. It's been. And That's when they beat UTEP 34-7. Tennessee's playing UTEP coming up this week. We'll talk more about that later. And This is a Kansas team that lost in overtime in Week 1 to FCS school Nichols State, so this was very unexpected. Some people at least had the idea that maybe Kentucky could win. Kentucky had come so close. They lost by one point last season. Uh, they lost a couple years ago in triple overtime. So Kentucky's had their shots, just like that long streak that Tennessee had with Kentucky. Kentucky made it close a couple years, but they finally got over the hump and beat them. And whew, the state of Florida is in a mess right now when you think of their top programs. Miami did not look good at all in their game with LSU. Florida State struggled. struggled. To beat Samford last week. And also they had the turnover backpack. Some of these turnover gimmicks have got to go away. That's worse than the Tennessee trash can was for turnovers. Okay, the Miami turnover chain, great. The Alabama title belt, great. The the, the road warrior looking spiked shoulder pads that Georgia has, great. Turnover backpack, uh, not so much. Stop. Please. We're done with that. So... That's it, and also Florida. The fact that they lost to Kentucky, everybody was just ready to come out and say Florida's back after they beat, what, Charleston Southern, I think, in week one, and then they get this, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Florida. I know Dan Mullen, I think he's going to do well with the Gators, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen overnight. I think this was a big reality check for a lot of Florida fans who need to be concerned when Tennessee and Florida play in two weeks and that game just got announced at seven o'clock prime time I believe on uh, one of the ESPN networks they haven't decided which one yet but it's gonna be in prime time haven't had a Tennessee Florida game at night in a while so that should be fun to watch so anyway these losing streaks have come to an end the now longest losing streak to a uh, to a team belongs to Indiana. They have lost 22 games in a row to two different schools. They have lost 22 in a row to Ohio State and 22 in a row to Michigan. So they've got their work cut out of them to uh, get off the schneid of being the longest one. Everybody used to, these long streaks, the Tennessee over Vanderbilt and the Tennessee over Kentucky and the Florida over Kentucky, a lot of these, they used to kind of hide Behind It was a long one. It was um, Notre Dame beating Navy. I think it was 40-some years, I think, was the streak. I think, for a while, the last Navy quarterback to beat uh, Notre Dame was Paul Horning. That's how long ago that was, and then that streak came to an end in the last decade or so. So you've got that going on. It's coo- cool to see some of these long streaks come to an end. Of course, we'd love to see Tennessee's streak to Alabama come to an end after 11, 12 games, but uh, I don't see that. But that's for our, uh, podcasts podcast uh, later in football season. So let's talk about some of the other things that have happened. We talked about how the state of Florida is just in a mess right now. Actually, I think Central Florida is the best team in the state of Florida right now. They've looked great in their matchups, and of course, they're, they've they got the longest winning streak, I believe, at 19, not, yeah, so something, something like that. They've got the longest winning streak going right now. The undefeated season last season won the last two games uh, this season, and South Florida looked really good in beating Georgia Tech, so the perennial schools, they got a hill to climb if they want to top uh, Central Florida, which is not what you usually want to say. So we'll of course examine this again week two long long season to go still so we'll uh, see what happens as the season progresses but right now Central Florida looking like the best team in the state of Florida. Speaking of other schools who are looking really really good Clemson and Georgia uh, they went through probably their toughest tests to a point Georgia still has Auburn and LSU left on their schedule But in their division, Georgia does not have to worry about anybody else, most likely in the SEC East. And Clemson should be, after the test they had against Texas A&M, they have no real roadblocks left of really what you would call difficult tests left on their schedule. So they are sitting Really pretty when it comes to how the season goes. Clemson, especially, they did escape a game. Texas A&M squad. Jimbo Fisher did a great job. The atmosphere there at Kyle Field was amazing. The twelfth man definitely helped uh, keep Texas A&M in that game. You know, Clemson had to stop that two point conversion there at the end that would have tied the the game up. So, hats off to. Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, I know, you know, moral victories are still losses, but it was good for Texas A&M, and I think if Jimbo Fisher, if they let him leave well enough alone and let him do what he's trying to do down there at Texas A&M, and they're paying him a lot of money to do it, I think he can get them back close to playoff contention here in the next uh, few years. It might take take four or five years, but I think Texas A&M can finally stop coming in fourth in the SEC West and uh, actually start to make a mark on things. But we'll see, again, how the rest of the season plays out there. But Clemson, you really look at the rest of their schedule, not a lot of tests going on. According to ESPN's uh, Football Power Index, the toughest game that Clemson has left, that's at Boston College, November 10th, where uh, the F. PI index still gives Clemson a 72.6% chance of winning that game which is surprising because they also play LSU or uh, no, I'm sorry not LSU but they play Florida State in uh, October twenty seventh. then usually that's the big game. But right now the FBI gives Florida State uh, a 15% chance of winning that game. Clemson has an 85% chance to beat Florida State. That's right now what everybody thinks of Florida State and what Willie Taggart's been doing. So not good. Not a good start to the season there for the Seminoles. Meanwhile, you look at what Georgia did. They just destroyed South Carolina. 41-7 to in Columbia, which uh, was probably the biggest threat for the Bulldogs in the SEC East, uh, the biggest roadblock, at least in the division of the SEC East right now, would probably be at Mizzou coming up in a couple of weeks. Drew Locke, of course, the uh, he's an NFL-caliber quarterback. He's got a good chance of making a big impact in the NFL as well with that Derek Dooley-led offense that Missouri has been running. Uh, but the FPI uh, index still gives... Georgia a 77.3% chance of winning that game. Meanwhile, uh, of course, Georgia has, they've got to go to Death Valley to play LSU on October the 3rd, and then they've got uh, Auburn on November 10th. Both of those, they've got uh, Georgia at a 74% chance of winning those games. So based on that, both Clemson and Georgia are sitting And again, you still got to go out and play the game. So you can't count your chickens before they hatch. But the road looks pretty good for them to at least get to their conference championship games, let alone maybe even get into the playoff. And the one other thing I took from what Clemson and Georgia did this past week is let Kelly Bryant at Clemson and let Jake Fromm just start and be the starting quarterbacks. They were the starting quarterbacks last year. And yes, Trevor Lawrence for Clemson. And Justin Fields for Georgia, they're great freshmen. They've got a lot of talent. They are going to be, they've got the possibility to be All American and Heisman caliber quarterbacks coming up in the future for Clemson and Georgia, respectively. But Kelly Bryant and Jake Fromm have done nothing to lose the starting job. Don't just because these guys have come in, don't just give them up because Kelly Bryant and Jake Fromm know how to win, too. They've gone through a whole season, they are in the trenches, they are experienced. They have had this, you know, especially look at what Kelly Bryant was able to do there at Clemson. He was clutch. He kept the team in it. He just made the right decisions there, which is what you need from a good quarterback. Yes, of course, uh, Tua Tugalova at Alabama is the exception to this rule, but he is a special, special player. Jalen Hurts did a wonderful job. At Alabama and leading them to two national championship games but Tua has just done an amazing job he is the outlier in this go with that experience when you've got these guys who are winning and they're just going to keep winning so I would stick with them until either an injury or they just start to play really bad but Not just like, oh, they throw one interception, bring in the freshman. Don't do that. Let these guys do it and take control and let them be the leaders that I think they can be and lead their teams maybe even back to the playoffs. I predicted both of them, uh, Clemson and Georgia, to make it with these quarterbacks to get back to the playoffs. So go with that. Just let that happen. Speaking of uh, changes and different things, boy, you talk about some coaching changes out in the Pac-12, the one that most people, including yours, truly panned and was just not a big fan of was that Herm Edwards hire at Arizona State. Meanwhile, uh, after two games, he's 2-0, including beating a very solid and very good Michigan State team in Tempe, Arizona, beat him 16-3, to got that last-second field goal, moved to 2-0. I mean, people were just panning this hire. I wasn't a big fan of it. He hadn't coached in 10 years. He'd just been in the booth and in the studio with ESPN. Great at that. I love him as an analyst for ESPN. And he hasn't coached in college since the 80s, so people were just questioning all this. Meanwhile, they thought great hires were Kevin Sumlin at Arizona and Chip Kelly at UCLA, and they're both 0-2. Arizona, I don't know what Kevin Sublin's done to Khalil Tate. I don't know what's going on there in Arizona. That has been a big question mark. Chip Kelly, I do think, will get the Bruins on track eventually. It might not be this season. It might not be next season. It's going to take him a little while to get players that he wants in there, but I do think Chip Kelly will do very well at UCLA. But right now, they're both 0-2. Now, halfway through the season, that could change. Herm Edwards could fall off, and these other guys could find a way to win. We will see, but right now... You know, we might all be eating a little bit of crow and doubting Herm Edwards there at Arizona State. We'll see how that goes. Speaking out in the Pac-12, Stanford looking very solid out there as they just beat down USC 17-3 to there. And David Shaw, I've, I've said this for a while. I would have loved for him to be Tennessee's coach. I said that even before they hired Butch Jones. I was saying get David Shaw in here, and I would have loved to have had David Shaw as the coach for Tennessee. Um here uh when they were replacing butch jones so i like him he runs a great program i mean he is 75 and 22 in his time there at stanford including three pac 12 championships which is which is very very good i would love to have that at t- wouldn't you love to have that you'd love to have you know a 75 and 22 record at tennessee over the ten year that david shaw has been there including a couple of conference championships or even division championships at this point for crying out loud tennessee hasn't even Won the SEC Eastern Division since 2007, so I would take that. If you look into that, but you you go into all this and also think about this with Stanford. When was the last time you heard a Stanford player getting arrested? It hasn't happened. When you look at it at that point, I mean, even Vanderbilt has had players arrested, and Duke has had a, you know a couple players with some issues, but none really at all when you look, of course, at what Florida's doing and Tennessee and all these other schools and Ohio State getting players arrested and whatnot. So Stanford, great school, of course, a great educational place as well. I mean, if I had... If I had a kid and he had got a scholarship to go to a lot of places and Stanford was one of them, Stanford, I would lay in big for him. He'd get a world-class education. It's a great place to be. I would go there as well. I think Stanford's a great place. Of course, if David Shaw is still there, he'd get a great football experience as well with him as head coach. Uh, Going back to some of the new head coaching hire, Scott Frost at Nebraska. They uh, That was a fun game to watch, but Colorado beat their old Big 12 rival 33-28. to 28. Very thrilling game, very fun game to watch. Uh, I do think Nebraska, if they would have been able to play Akron last week, but that game got canceled because of weather, I probably would have had Nebraska winning that game, and they probably should have won that game, but they didn't get that first week to play. And hats off to Colorado for coming in and getting a big win in Lincoln. But uh, the schedule is not going to get any easier for Scott Frost in Nebraska. I know a lot of people are ready to crown uh, the Cornhuskers, but it's still like a lot of these places, like Tennessee with Jeremy Pruitt, and like Dan Mullen at Florida, and like Chip Kelly at UCLA. This isn't going to be an immediate title contender team. It's going to take a minute. I mean, they're hiring new coaches for a reason. It's not like... A coach just left, you had a national championship year or conference championship and then left to go to the NFL or something like that. These guys, they were their new head coaches at these programs for a reason. And uh, it's not going to get any easier for Nebraska. They've got to go to, on the road, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ohio State this season. That is, whew, you think Tennessee's schedule is tough. That is not fun at all for Nebraska. So good luck to Scott Frost, and I think he'll do great things in Nebraska, but it's going to take a minute. So it might not be this season. With that road schedule, that's not pretty at all. Meanwhile, the Vols, my, uh, my beloved Tennessee Volunteers, it took a minute, but they finally just got everything going. It took another weather break. Man, these these lightning strikes, I don't remember when these rules got in with the eight-mile rule with lightning strikes and everything like that, but it seems that it's been happening a lot more with games and the weather and everything like that, and I'm not going to get into a climate change debate. That story's for another podcast. We can talk about that at some other time. That is not what this show is about, but uh, anyway, Tennessee— It took the weather delay, but they got on track and defeated the ETSU Buccaneers 59-3, which is good because we didn't have to see Randy Sanders walking back to Johnson City carrying the goalpost over his shoulder naked, so I was very happy about that. Uh, Tennessee came out. They were up 10-0 after the first quarter. Uh, Mostly from a blocked punt. That was great. That was a thing of beauty. They've gotten their hands on two punts the last two games. So that's been pretty good to see. I like good big impact plays in special teams teams like that, but then they forced some other turnovers with some interceptions and got 28 points in the second quarter, finally got the run game going, which looked really, you know, Jordan had a tough time at the beginning, but Jeremy Banks was able to come in, great downhill runner, got two touchdowns there, right around the goal line, which had been problems for Tennessee in the past, including in the first quarter of this ETSU game, they had a tough time getting the ball in, had to settle for a field goal in their first drive, which, Against a team like ETSU that's not very good, you don't want that. So I'm glad that Tennessee finally got on track. My favorite uh, moment, though, happened in the game was Darren Kirkland Jr., who, again, was thinking about transferring. It actually put in and announced that he was going to transfer as a graduate transfer and go elsewhere to play, but Jeremy Pruitt was able to help convince him to stay at Tennessee. He had a pick-six which was great there in the second quarter, so that was great. He'd had so many injuries and things just not go his way the last couple of seasons, so it was awesome to see uh, Darren Kirkland Jr. getting that touchdown, and the crowd really responded to that, which I really liked. But Tennessee ended up, again, winning 59-3, to and I think fans feel a little bit better, but again, it's almost a glorified scrimmage when you're playing ETSU, and they're going to get that type of matchup. Uh, this week, as well as UTEP, the University of Texas, El Paso, the Miners are coming to Neyland Stadium. They are playing at noon on the SEC Network, so it's an early game there. Should, they're probably the worst team right now in the Football Bowl subdivision in FBS. They're they're not good. They lost to FCS, uh, Team Northern Arizona. They also lost to UNLV, the Runnin' Rebels, who are also not very good, and lost badly to UNLV as well, so... We'll see how it goes, but I'm predicting kind of about the same score—the 59 to three that Tennessee had over UTEP. I'm kind of seeing about like I don't know a 56 to seven type win for Tennessee, which is good. Let's just again get the win, get the get so many players, get them their reps, let them get some game experience, get all these kind of things because the meat of the schedule kicks in. Florida is coming to Neyland Stadium. Uh, the week after this. So we got to get ready. And it looks like the way Florida played, we might even have a better chance of beating them than I thought. So w- let's worry about that. Let's just take care of UTEP, go on from there and get there. So that's going to end, of course, the college football segment there of things that we have learned. And usually we'd probably go talk a little NFL here in the second uh, big story. But no, because what's end up happening is tennis has now. Taken uh, the second ball. I did not expect to be talking about tennis right in the middle of football season, but there was controversy and craziness happening at the US Open women's final as Naomi Osaka, she defeated Serena Williams 6'2, 6'4. And we always got to give credit to winners. We talk about winners first here on Modern Day Gladiators because that's what you should do. Winners. Get prime billing. A uh, 20 year old from Japan. An amazing story, really. The fact that, you know, she, she's got a Japanese mother, a Haitian father, which is, it's a mix you don't see. And then her Japanese grandmothers, and again, you talk about overcoming diversity and, and interesting, uh, just terrible things in your life. Her grandmother disowned the family because uh, Osaka's mother married. Uh, married a Haitian man and not i guess a, a Japanese man or something like that. Just again j- bad bad juju in things like that. So, it was great to see her win. The problem was her victory was spoiled and her moment was really just taken away from her because of what happened with Serena Williams. And this is just one of the just crazy moments when you look at everything. Serena Williams what happened if you if you don't know and if you're not a, if you're a sports fan i don't know how you can't have not seen this at this point but uh, first of all osaka had dominated serena williams in the first set 6-2 then serena williams is uh, up 0-1 and she gets a warning and, and and penalized for what the umpire said was coaching uh, and again chair umpire uh, carlos ramos was the one who had this going on. So that happened. Serena was unhappy about that. She ended up losing a game a little bit later in the second set. She smashed her racket, which was another point penalty. And then she got into it again with Carlos Ramos. And this, again, he said, you know, using, you know, bad, bad, not bad language, but, you know, insulting him and getting on to the referee. So he cited her for a third time and with these interactions with the chair umpire, you do it for a third time. That's a game. That's you know one of these the games, and that was crucial. And it ended up being 6-2, six, 6-4. Six, Naomi Osaka got the win. Now, the way I saw Osaka play, she was dominating Serena. She dominated that first set. She was looking very good in the second set as well. Now, again, Serena Williams has won 23 Grand Slam. She is the greatest female tennis player of all time. I, I'm I'm very confident in that, especially the way she has just trained herself and done great and amazing things. But she was very out of line with so much of this stuff. She, you know, was com- complaining and just carrying on and just having it out with the the chair umpire. And I think the thing that bothered me most was the po- post game press conference when she quoting that he was a sexist and all this stuff. I don't know the guy. What I know from his history of calling games and being the chair umpire is he has cited men for a lot of this stuff too. Everybody is looking back at you know McEnroe and Connors and even Roger Federer back in 2009 swearing at the chair umpire and not getting into as much trouble as Serena got. Now, again, Serena did a couple things to compound this. That's why the game got cost from her. She lost a game in that second set because it was the third infraction that he called. And again, you talk to the coach and he said he was coaching and and that's against the rules, at least in the U.S. Open. So you had that and it's like, he is a stickler for the rules. Carlos Ramos, the chair umpire, is a stickler for the rules. He cited Rafael Nadal. He cited Novak Djokovic, who, congratulations, by the way, to Novak Djokovic for beating Juan uh, Martin del Potro 6'3, 7'6, 6'3 in straight sets to win his 14th Grand Slam, winning the U.S. Open. Back to back, Wimbledon and U.S. Open this year. So, congratulations to Novak Djokovic. Probably looks like he's back among the elite with Federer and Nadal there on the men's side. But back. To the women's side again, Carlos Ramos has cited for, you know, coaching and bad behavior. He has done this. He's been a very big stickler for the rules. And anybody who's played any type of high level of sports, especially sports like this where there is a chair umpire or uh, or a baseball umpire, that's part of your game plan for that match. It might not be the most important thing, but for a pitcher in baseball, knowing who that home plate umpire is and where he likes to call certain strikes and balls and different things like that, you're darn right that's something you have to prepare for. So Serena going into this needed to realize that he is a big stickler for this. The fact, though, that Serena, and again, she has been disqualified for matches before. I believe the 2009 U.S. Open, she was disqualified for pretty much threatening a line judge with some language I will not repeat on this show. If you want that language, you can listen to Halfle. But uh, it, it, it's just one of these things that happens where she she could have controlled herself a lot. The smashing of the racket, that's fine, but she just would not let this go, which caused so much of these problems. And she, again, a lot of this is on Serena. She is the, and again, I will say this, she is the best women's tennis player of all time. I'm I'm you know she is the best and I'm I'm very confident in saying that. But she was in the wrong with a lot of this. Now again, Carlos Ramos, do I think the final of the US Women's Open is the place to do a lot of this stuff? No, I think he was out of line too. But again, the International Tennis Federation defended Ramos's decisions and said he acted in the way that he was supposed to. They fined Serena Williams $17,000, which is a little drop in the bucket for Serena. But I think so much again. Serena was in the wrong, and I think the way they handled that that post game trophy presentation was just awful. The New York crowd also, and again, I understand that Serena is where the money is. That's what people, especially in America, are tuning in to watch. They're tuning in to watch Serena. I get that, but the way the crowd carried on, they it took them for it took Serena to try to put her arm. Around Naomi and comfort her and say hey let's celebrate her but the fact that so much of this her first ever grand slam this girl's 20 years old first ever grand slam for her the first ever Japanese tennis player to win a tennis grand slam and so much of it was just taken away by the actions of the chair umpire and Serena just carrying on I think she acted like a petulant child that's what I really think and, again, I don't think this was sexist because, again, you've looked at Carlos Ramos's history and what he has done in the past, and I think there's no sexism to it. He was calling it the way he's called other matches. And, again, does he get a little maybe full of himself? Yes, because, also, we're not there to—we don't pay to see the chair umpire. Referees, umpires— what have you, any type of official, whether it be in professional sports or even professional wrestling, the best ones are there to make the calls, and that's it. That's all you want them there to do. You don't want to see them any other way, is to just make the calls and make sure everything is fair. That's it. So, again, Ramos, Williams, and the New York City crowd, shame on all of you for the way you behaved and carried on and took away a moment for uh, Naomi Osaka. And again, I hope that she's able to win more Grand Slams. I think she's got a very bright future from what I've been able to check out and see of her. I think she's going to win multiple Grand Slam championships. Hopefully she wins another U.S. Open and they give her the treatment that she deserves for winning that. But Anyway, that is just a, a terrible, terrible situation and was not expecting to talk tennis. There was, was supposed to be in shibbles and bits and it's now in the main block, but uh, Anyway, we're going to take a break. I appreciate you guys hanging around and listen to me ramble and rant about that. But again, people's behavior, your adult's. Behave like adults, just a little bit, occasionally. And again, this is coming from a Tennessee Volunteers football fan. I've seen plenty of childish behavior in SEC country as well, so I know where all that's coming from. But we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with all the other news, including, of course, Hell in the Cell's coming up in the world of professional wrestling. But Shibbles and Bits, up next, right here on Modern Day Gladiators, on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Hey there, this is Rin Dupes and Katrina Vargas. We're the hosts and creators of this new podcast, That Other F Word. That word, it's feminism. We are proud, happy, open-minded feminists, and we're not embarrassed to tell you that. In fact, we'll tell you all about it on our new podcast coming to Stage Diver Radio Network and everywhere podcasts are found. Check out our Will Manifesto now to learn more about what to expect and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to Modern Day Gladiators. Again, your humble host, Michael Shibley. Thanks for sticking around through the break. Welcome back, and of course, it's time for my favorite segment. All the little news and notes that might have fallen through the cracks and you didn't see it, we'll check it out. It's time to hit up Shibbles and Bits. I think I have too much fun playing the Pink Panther. I love it. Ah, Good times, good times. Anyway... Time to hit up Shibbles and Bits for this week. Again, tennis uh, was supposed to be here, but it ended up in the main block. So, first thing with Shibbles and Bits, talking NFL Week 1. Big news coming out of there. Some of the big takeaways that I got. And again, debuting coaches, they went 0-7 for their first game with their teams. John Gruden returning for the Raiders, lost Pat Shermer for the Giants, Matt Nagy with the Chicago Bears, Steve Wilkes with the Arizona Cardinals, Frank Reich with the Colts, Matt Patricia with the Lions, Mike Vrabel with the Tennessee Titans, all losers in week one. Now, one of the things that I don't do really, I don't put that much weight into what happens in weeks one and two, really, of the NFL regular season, so much so because so many of the big players just don't play at all Anymore in the preseason. I mean, they play a little bit, but I just don't think they're in game shape. So you get a lot of these, some of these dull, boring games. Uh, You get some of these games with just wild scoring, like the Saints and Buccaneers. So I I just don't really think it's, it just falls in line with what's going on for the rest of the NFL season. It takes a couple weeks for everybody to get going, kind of like what you've got with college football, because there's no preseason. In college football, And it almost seems that way right now because some of these guys, again, don't play preseason games or don't play a lot at all. So there's that. But again, uh, the big takeaways, though, that I took uh, the best game or one of the most interesting games was the Brown Steelers tie. So the Browns for once didn't lose. They didn't win either. They got the tie after having their field goal blocked uh, right there at the end. A chance to win it in overtime, but missed it. And again, for those of you who don't know, in the NFL, they play one overtime, 15-minute period. If their score has not happened, then they just end the game in a tie, which, of course, we all know is like kissing your sister And that's what it felt like at the end of that game. You know, the Steelers weren't happy about that. Browns fans felt better because they didn't lose for once. But still, you want to beat the Steelers. Who doesn't want to beat the Steelers, especially in that division? So it was just interesting. Back and forth, both teams had chances with their field goal kickers, but the Steelers missed theirs as well. So it was a rough game. Played just in a downpour in Cleveland at the time. Uh, But... We'll uh, see what happens. Meanwhile, you speaking of downpours. Hurricane Florence bearing down on the Carolinas and Virginia. Everybody out there, please be safe. My hometown of Virginia Beach. Hunker down, get ready, or get out. I mean, if you're in one of those evacuation zones, and I saw what they are, and I've got some friends still on Facebook, if you're there, get out. This one is not. And we've been through hurricanes in Virginia Beach. I've been through my fair share of them, but they've all been Category 1 or Category 2. They've not been a Category 4. Like this bad boy has been. And, of course, it's affecting the sports world as well as uh, the West Virginia NC State game has been canceled as with uh, the biggest game canceled. Of course, other events there in uh, North Carolina and South Carolina has been canceled. And I'm sure more uh, uh, that have come out after this taping uh, have been notified as well. But everybody just be safe out uh, there. But also back into the NFL The best game was the Packers and Aaron Rodgers leading that comeback. A 20-point comeback over the Chicago Bears. Their, you know, just historical rivalry. It's probably one of the best rivalries in the NFL. And Aaron Rodgers was knocked out of the game. And it looked like the Bears were just going to roll. And just because Khalil Mack, of course, traded from the Raiders to the Bears and just looked like he was making the raiders regret every second of getting rid of him but then aaron rodgers comes back and leads him to victory and you know dumps the ball to cobb and cobb does that long, long randall cobb does a nice long run for a touchdown and the packers get the win and it shows to me that great great quarterbacks like tom brady and aaron rodgers and drew brees They can counter a great defense, especially the way the rules are now. You get a great legendary quarterback, and they're going to torch a legendary defense nine times out of ten. I mean, you look at some of these great defenses, and yes, they're great defenses, but they also beat up on the middling and just the bad quarterbacks. I mean, look at what happened to backup quarterback Deshaun Kaiser. I mean, he fumbled through interceptions. He just had a, a, a terrible time. Khalil Mack just destroyed him. Aaron Rodgers comes back in. And leads the Packers to a victory. It's the same defense. But it shows just how great of a quarterback that Aaron Rodgers is and how great of a quarterback Tom Brady is when you get these defenses. And yes, of course there's those games. Like you look at what the Giants were able to do to the Patriots in some of these Super Bowls. But I think the way the rules have changed now, I do think that the quarterbacks, again, are valued more and more. And that's the way it is. And it just shows how awesome and legendary of a quarterback Aaron Rodgers is. And I hope he gets at least to win one more Super Bowl because he's a great performer and deserves to have multiple uh, Vince Lombardi trophies to his name. Moving quickly to the world of golf Keegan Bradley uh, defeated number one in the world, Justin Rose, in a playoff to win the BMW championship on a rain delayed Monday final round. Hats off to Bradley too. It was his first win in the PGA Tour in six years. He won the PGA Championship back in 2011. Shot a final round uh, six six under 64 to finish at 20 under and had a tie and wins it in a playoff. Of course, with golf, we can't not talk about it without talking about Tiger Woods, who played very well. He was the one of the leaders. At the end of the first round, fell back a little bit, finished tied for sixth, three shots back. But again, good to see Tiger in contention and at least around to make a move on the weekend. And speaking of golf, Jordan Spieth, three-time major winner, did not do enough to qualify for the final uh, FedEx uh, Cup championship uh, match, the Tour Championship. Only the top 30 in the FedEx points could advance. Tiger Woods did advance into that, but Jordan Spieth did not do well enough to do that so not not a great season which is weird because he was in contention uh for the the british open championship and i believe the u.s open he was in contention for as well played well in those but just did not either play in enough tournaments and just didn't play well in the ones he did play in to get enough points to advance to the tour championship which is kind of a bummer when you look at it uh meanwhile also off to the baseball diamonds uh, of course Finally into September, the race for October is on. And, of course, teams also are unhappy about different things. The circumstances of the Cleveland Indians waiver deadline acquisition of star third baseman Josh Donaldson has drawn the ire of the Red Sox and the Yankees because, of course, it does because they couldn't get him. was mostly what's going on. Uh, The Red Sox and Yankees both voiced displeasure to Major League Baseball uh, back about the uh, August 31st trade between the Indians and the Toronto Blue Jays, according to the report. The issue, according to the report, is the unclear health status of Donaldson, who has not played in the majors since May 28th because of a calf industry a industry injury. Easy for me to say. The former American League MVP began a minor league rehab assignment August 29th. It was placed uh, on trade waivers by the Blue Jays that same day. He was traded to Cleveland just before that Uh, August 31st deadline meaning he's eligible to play for the Indians in the postseason. By rule and this is I guess what they're miffed at a player must be certified as healthy to be able to be placed on trade waivers and uh, the Red Sox and Yankees are just upset that uh, they don't believe that he's healthy. So and they're upset because the Indians are getting themselves a good player and putting themselves in position to maybe make a playoff run as well and the Yanks and Sox just want it to be about them. That's the way it always is. They're upset. They're probably upset that they weren't able to get him or didn't think that they could get him, I guess. So they were kind of upset about that. Uh, they're just going to get over it. They've got plenty of great players. They're both going to make the playoffs. I know the Orioles aren't because they're 5,000 games back at this point. Whew, that's just been bad. But looking forward to the baseball playoffs as always. And, of course, once we get closer and the pennant chase is get down to the wire we will talk more about that here on modern day gladiators but we'll uh wrap up the uh wrap up shibbles and bits here with a little bit of sad news as uh many of you know uh burt reynolds the movie and tv star he passed away last week at the age of 82 he always he played uh for florida state many of you know he was lee corso's roommate at florida state he uh, did very well for himself. I mean, for the time that he was there, he played halfback back at Palm Beach High School and uh, where his teammate was future New York Yankees manager Dick Hauser. So just a lot of uh, connections there for Burt Reynolds. Uh, played 1954 at Florida State. Ran for 134 yards and two touchdowns on 16 carries in his freshman season and had four catches for 76 yards, but he got injured, and that cut the season short, and he also missed the 1955 season after surgery. He came back to Florida State back in 1957, but a car accident cost him his spleen and re-aggravated the knee injury, so he really couldn't play football anymore. Dropped out of Florida State, worked odd jobs in New York, but then he went to uh, Palm Beach Junior College, where he went to study acting, and that's, of course, where he... Made his bones. I mean, many of us remember, you know, one of my all-time favorite movies is Smokey and the Bandit. A little personal story. My wife and I, she, we shared our first kiss uh, watching Smokey and the Bandit. Just That just happened to be what was playing. But we'll always have that special memory with them. And, of course, he played some great football uh, movies as well. He was Paul Wrecking Crew back in the original version of The Longest Yard you know the prisoners versus the guards that was a great great movie you need to check out the original the remake's okay but you gotta check out the original with Burt Reynolds in there and of course he played uh, Marvin Shake Tiller in Semi-Tough as well so just awesome Burt Reynolds was just a great you know he was an American icon he's one of the great American icons he set the standard almost for male masculinity in Hollywood Back in the day A great talent It was fun I mean he was great In in Deliverance of course Was a wonderful movie Uh, Also of course Boogie Nights One of the later movies That we got to see And again Just great memories I'll probably the next time My wife and I Have some time together We will watch Smokey and the Bandit And just uh, Raise a glass To the great Burt Reynolds Forever a Seminole They did park uh, Trans Am Outside of the uh, Dope Campbell Stadium uh, last week as Florida State played Samford there, uh, again, in tribute to Burt Reynolds. So, rest in peace, Burt Reynolds. You were an American icon and a great uh, great ambassador to Florida State where you got your honorary uh, degree from Florida State back in 1981. You will be missed. Rest in peace, Bandit. We'll see you on the other side. And that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits today. So, let's head into the arena as I become the man in the arena and talk wrestling real quick here to wrap up this show. Thank you guys again for hanging around. The May Young Classic is underway. The All-Women's Tournament, 32 women, again, vying for the title of winning the May Young Classic. The finals will take place at the Evolution All-Women Pay-Per-View in October. First round had some really good matches. Um, Tegan Knox, one of the favorites out of Great Britain. She defeated Zatara from Chile in the first round. Rhea Ripley from Australia, one of the big forces in this one. She defeated MJ Jenkins out of uh, the United States. Lacey Lane... From the U.S., she defeated uh, Vanessa Craven from Canada. That was a good That was a good David versus Goliath style match. Lacey Lane, very small, Craven, a, a bigger uh, woman. So had that a couple of missed spots in that one. I think Lacey Lane was trying too much, and I know you know you want to make an impression, but some of the stuff she was trying, man, you gotta gotta know you can do the move perfectly if you're gonna try it. There, I think nerves got to her because she's also from Winter Park, Florida where Full Sail University, where they film the Mae Young Classic and tape it is, so I think she had some nerves there as well, but she did get the win hopefully in her next round matchup, she'll be able to do a little bit better, but the match of the first uh, block of tapings there was the the match of the night Uh, Mako Satomura from Japan, she defeated Killer Kelly from Portugal, that was a great match, it was a very fun, you know, a great seven and a half minute strong match, it was fun to watch, Satomura, she's a veteran of Japan, they had clips of her, she wrestled on WCW Nitro back when she was 16. That's how, so she's been in the wrestling world for a long long time, but she's become just a sensation in Japan, an old veteran, and she does great, it was a great match with her and Killer Kelly did a great job. So check that one out. Check them all out. They're gonna be fun matches to watch there in the May Young Classic, but the big Big story, of course, going into this Sunday is Hell in a Cell. Uh, Eight matches have been announced. We'll run those down real quick, and I'll make my picks. Uh, The big story, of course, from... Last night on Raw is now, I guess, Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler, and Braun Strowman are now an official group. They're calling themselves the Dogs of War, which apparently was the name generator one that they came up with, I guess, because they're going to go against the Shield and the Hounds of Justice. I don't know. It's it's stupid, and I don't even think they're going to be a group for that long. I think Drew McIntyre is going to go his own way at some point here very soon, but whatever. It was dumb. Nothing else really big happened. Ronda Rousey had a good tag match uh, with Natalia over uh, Alexa Bliss and uh, Mickey James. So there was that as well. But nothing else really of note when you look at it. Uh, but run down the card real quick. Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton are going to be facing each other in a Hell in a Cell match. I've got Randy Orton getting the win and Jeff Hardy pretty much killing himself. I mean, the, the man, whew, he's taking a lot of bumps. And... I don't know how big of bumps they're going to take in the Hell in the Cell, but uh, I I fear for Jeff Hardy's safety. I feared for his safety for a long time, but this one I'm really, really scared for his safety. I've got Randy Orton getting the win in that one. The Raw Tag Team titles are on the line as the team of Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre are going to face the Shield team of Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. I still like Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre to get the win over some sort of heel shenanigans, getting the win there, even though that should be a very good match. Another great tag match will be the new day defending their tag titles against either the bar or rusev day. We'll find that out on SmackDown, which again is uh happening a little later this evening. We record this on Tuesdays, so we don't have the uh the results of that one. I do have the New Day retaining at Hell in a Cell over no matter which team they face. I'm guessing they're gonna face Rusev Day just to be something different, but I still have the New Day beating Rusev Day in uh at Hell in a Cell. Good mixed tag match coming up here with Daniel Bryan and Bree Bella taking on the Miz and Maurice. I've got I've got Daniel Bryan and Bree Bella getting the win, but I've got Bree Bella pinning maurice so what is going to end up happening i think is the miz is going to come out and say yeah you won but it was your wife getting the win you still can't beat me and i think that's going to just kind of set up a a good fall feud there with daniel bryan and the miz as it continues to the fall maybe even ends with a title match at wrestlemania if they play their cards right i think that could be really awesome to see but who knows, the WWE will find a way to screw that up and make it really short and pointless, knowing them. Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch fighting for the SmackDown women's title. Uh, Becky Lynch, of course, turned on Charlotte at SummerSlam, and everybody thought, you know, she was a heel, but the crowd sh- cheered her so much, they've tried so hard to make Becky Lynch heel. Now they've kind of had to turn Charlotte heel, almost, to get in this one. I still like Charlotte Flair, unfortunately, to get the win. I really would love for Becky Lynch to get the championship but I still see Charlotte Flair retaining. As well, meanwhile the Raw Women's title is on the line as Alexa Bliss uh invokes her rematch clause to take on Ronda Rousey for the Raw Women's Championship. I've got Ronda Rousey dominating Alexa again even though Alexa is going to try as many heel shenanigans as she possibly can, but I've still got Ronda Rousey getting the win there. The WWE Championship is on the line. Hell in a Cell, AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe. That should be an awesome match. I'm really excited to watch it as, again, they have been feuding and just a war of words and bringing AJ Styles' family into the mix and all that. That should be another just great matchup. I do actually, I'm going to go with an upset here and get Samoa Joe to get the win and finally win the WWE Championship. I'm going with Samoa Joe. In that one. And of course, the main event will be Roman Reigns versus Braun Strowman in a Hell in the Cell for the WWE Universal Championship, as Braun Strowman has officially cashed in his Money in the Bank briefcase to make this match. Now, what happened last night on Raw is Mick Foley has now deemed himself. In, I guess, celebration of the 20th anniversary of the just groundbreaking and just star making Hell in a Cell match that he had with The Undertaker back in 1998. Watch that on the WWE Network. It's insane. If you've ever listened to any of these memes with JR, you know, shouting, Someone stop the damn match! That's from that, uh, from from that match so Mick Foley has interjected himself as the special guest referee in the Roman Reigns Braun Strowman match I really want Braun Strowman to get the title here but the Roman Reigns just won it and they're gonna probably take him all the way to Wrestlemania with it so I've got Roman Reigns retaining hopefully not to kill off Braun Strowman's momentum for good here but I worry that that's going to happen I hope it doesn't but I think it might but uh So, of course, Roman wins, LOL. We'll talk more and, of course, we'll recap all of that stuff uh, the next uh, week here on Modern Day Gladiators. And, of course, we'll preview the Tennessee-Florida game and other big, big things happening in the world of sports. Thank you guys for listening. As always, I am Michael Shibley, your man in the arena. Thank you guys for hanging out. And, again, like, subscribe, download all that good stuff, rate, review. We want to hear from you. And of course, you can listen to Modern Day Gladiators and all the other great podcasts that we have at Stage Diver Radio at stagediverradio.com. Again, thank you guys for hanging out. I'm Michael Shibley. Too sweet. I will see you guys next time.